for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. So, 1 John, and uh, can I commend it to you for your reading over the next few weeks? Um, uh, we're going to be doing a series focusing on each chapter there, 1 John. And uh, there's only five chapters, so it doesn't take long to read. Um, No excuses there. Uh, You can read that through in one sitting uh, quite easily. If you want to take longer and give more thought to it, then uh, you can do that as well. But it's good to just read right the way through and uh, enjoy the book as a whole and hear what uh, John is saying. Okay, Um, I'm going to begin uh, this morning with a question. And it will come up on the screen in just a moment. Um, So the theme is learning, loving, and living. One thing we should be doing as Christians is learning as much as we can about God and how we do life in the here and now. Learning about God's love for us and learning how to love. And of course, we should be living. Uh, Of all people on planet Earth, we should be living as God intended. And 1 John is just a beautiful little book. Uh, that deals with this in a wonderful way. So if we can have the next slide, please. I'd like you just to turn briefly to the person next to you, because we haven't got much time, but just briefly discuss this question, or this statement here. I heard it on the internet the other day. Christianity is true for me because it's what I believe, and it makes me feel good. Just turn to two or three people around you and say, is that good, or is there something missing here, etc.? Okay? Just very quickly, this is a primer. It's got you thinking, hasn't it? This was uh, an answer by a Christian being interviewed by an atheist. Okay? A Christian being interviewed by an atheist. How do you think that statement stands up? Christianity is true for me because it's what I believe and it makes me feel good. Someone says it doesn't stand up. Do you think there's some holes in it? Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly some holes in it. And actually just looking at 1 John picks on this. And uh, the atheist actually tore this particular person to pieces. Um, Really sort of, uh, yeah, uh, went for them. And, And that's sad. Because we of all people should know the reason for our faith. We should know what we believe and why we believe it. And um, that statement is by, it's it's far too subjective. It's subjective, that means it's open to being changed at some point in time. What happens when I don't feel good? What happens when the Christian life is tough? And so on. So, there we are. So here's a question for you. How strong is your faith this morning? How are you growing in it? How does your faith impact your fellowship? How does it affect your daily life? What about sin? What do you do with that? And what assurance of heaven do you have when you die? 
There are all kinds of things that are covered in this particular book. And if there's one thing that's for sure, we live in an uncertain world. An uncertain world which is constantly questioning who we are, why we're here, what's it all about. We're less certain than we used to be. A world where it seems today that everything is up for grabs. Things that we were sure of years ago, we can't be sure today. And sadly, that's the case even in the church, even in the evangelical church. We can say that there are, what some of those, there are areas of it where now what we, what we were certain of, we are not so sure. There are those who are not so sure. Uncertainty has been making inroads. Once it was the, the domain of the liberals, as we understood them. But now, sadly, it's the domain of the evangelical. Certainty is something that is found to be true. Can we know it? Is, it? is it really a fact of life? Or is life just a series of unending questions? You may be sure today, but not so sure tomorrow. So today, relatives, relativism plays a larger part than revelation. Uh, Truth is, is relative to the individual. It's about who I am and how I feel. It's about what feels good to me. If it feels good to me, it must be right. Within the church, there are those who desire, as it were, a more generous orthodoxy, an embracing of questions rather than answers, an exploration rather than a destination. I have trouble with that. Ultimate truth, it is deemed, is beyond our grasp. At the end of the day, it means, well, what is this book all about? Can we trust it? Is it really a reliable rule for our faith and our conduct? So if you'd like to, just turn to 1 John there, and we're going to read a little bit of 1 John. Because, you see, in many ways, nothing's changed. Since the fall, truth has been under attack. Human history is is littered with such questioning. And time and again, it's reared its ugly head in the church, which should be the pillar and the ground of truth, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. But we do need to remember that we, we have an enemy, an enemy who hates God, who hates the truth, and who wants to destroy it. And the the letters that we have in Scripture are are just such. They they are written to to people like you and I to to help us understand the battle that we are in, to help us understand how the enemy would seek to attack the truth that we believe and who would seek to rob us of that truth and therefore uh, rob us of the, the power that engages our lives. And in 1 John, that is exactly what Paul is doing. So let's just, sorry, John is doing. So in 1 John verse 1, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We have saw him with our eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And this one who is life itself was revealed to us and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with us, with with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have Fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We're writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy or that you may have joy. Did you know that God designed us to, to live in joy? That we have, in, in our, even in our brains, a joy center. And if that is not functioning, it affects the whole of our lives. It's one of the things that we find in Scripture. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we look at the Psalms and we see the importance there about joy in the Psalms. And, and so God wants us to be full of joy. But people are seeking that kind of joy in all sorts of other places. And, and John would ground it somewhere else. He would ground it in this truth that we have in Jesus. He would ground it in that reality that is Christ. And so here one, in 1 John, this is what John is doing. He is wanting to ground these people in the Word of God, in the Word who is himself life. And so writing to a church that's under attack, and there's so much that we could go into here about this particular book and, and this particular chapter, and I'm going to have to throw some things out, and you'll have to think about them, discuss them in your community groups. But he's writing to a church, a church that's under attack, a church that has, has lost people because of false teachers who have come in and have led them astray. And, and those that remain are, are, are wavering. They're wondering whether they have the truth, whether what they're believing is really the real thing, or should they go after those who have left? They have lost, uh, they're wavering in their understanding of Jesus. They have lost their, they're not sure of the Father's heart either. They've lost their confidence in the gospel. There are those who think it's okay to sin, and there are those who are struggling with others in the church. There are those who seem to have lost the assurance that they once had. John, as their pastor, writes to them, and it's, it could be a church, it could be churches, I think it could be a group of churches. And, and this man is an aged man, he's, he's writing to them in his, his latter years, and and, uh, and that's encouraging, isn't it? If you're an aged person today, I want to encourage you. Because all the while God keeps you here, he's 100% for you and he's got a job for you to do. Yeah? Because we're living in a, in a generation which says, if you're below 50, that's the way to be. But if you're over 50, life is finished. No, it's not. Not in the kingdom of God. It might be in the world, but in the kingdom of God, still, God's still got his tag on you. Okay? And I love it. This, here is this man. He's still got a heart for God. He's still got a passion for the church. He's still got a passion for the gospel. He's an aged man, and he's looking at this church, and he's, he's feeling God's heart for it. And I find this interesting. I find John interesting, because if you go back to the gospels, you find that this man is, is quite, has got quite a character. He, he's known as a son of thunder. He's, his mum wanted him to have a place at the right hand of Jesus in eternity. And so that sort of says something about his mum as well. What kind of family he came to, come from, you know. So you look at this particular guy and there's a, an occasion during the ministry of Jesus when there's a, a bit of opposition and, and John's answer is, oh, Jesus, shall we call down fire on them? And, and uh, so you kind of get the feel for this particular man. He's, he's kind of, come on, let, let's get it. Let's get them. Let's get the job done one way or the other. And so there's this tenacity. There's this a kind of aggression with him. But actually, when you read this book, that's not there at all. He is a different man. 
He's a man who has encountered Jesus and who has been transformed by Jesus. And, and, and I just love it because he knows a thing or two about life. He, he, he's, since he met Jesus and since Jesus went to heaven, it, Christian life has not been easy for him. Read the story. You know, he wrote the gospel. He wrote these three books, one, two, and three, John. He wrote the book of Revelation. Life has not been easy for him. It certainly wasn't come to Jesus and be happy. But he knew the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord was his strength. So he knows a, a thing or two about life. He's, he's a different man. He's, he's suffered for the gospel. He's been transformed by the gospel. And he became known as the apostle of love. And so when you read this book, he, he writes with great affection. These are, are God's children. And they have been troubled by false teachers. People who kind of profess some knowledge of Jesus, and, but then have gone astray somewhere and have led others astray as well. But one thing that has not diminished is what he knows and believes about Jesus and the gospel. And I just think those first few verses there, one to four, are so powerful. So powerful. Because here is a man approaching the end of his life and he is still in love with Jesus. He still believes that he is everything he ever saw, he ever heard, he ever touched all those years ago. And I pray that I can be the same when I'm in my 90s. Believing God to live to 90 or more. Amen? I don't know what you're believing for, but I'm going for 90 plus. Yeah? I want to be here as long as I can so that I can serve him as long as I can. Isn't that right? Yeah? Perhaps some of you want to go a bit before then. Yeah? It can be tiring at times. But we have a God who is with us. He is with us. Whatever situation you're going through at the moment, when you're tempted to throw in the towel, God is with you. Amen? The older generations here. I just want to ask that question this morning. Do you love Jesus like you first loved him? Yeah? yeah. Actually, it's a bigger question, that, because do you love him more? Do you love him more? Yeah. You know, has he grown in your heart and in your mind? You know, when a couple falls in love, that, that's just the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, they fall in love and they, they think that's everything, but we grow in love as we get to know one another as we understand one another, as we work life out together, we, we grow in love. And it is, you know, if your relationship with Jesus is the same as it was when you were saved, I want to pray for you. You know? Because it's about a growing relationship. And this whole chapter here, this whole book is about fellowship with God. That this amazing God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has been a community of love, from eternity and will be to all eternity. And out of that community of love expressed itself in the creation of the world, in creating us in his image and for a relationship with him, to dwell in that circle of love. This staggering God who, when we, we mess up, we, we blew it, we went in our own direction, comes after us in a great pursuit of love. Yeah, and we'll soon be celebrating that. Maybe you don't want to be reminded of Christmas at the moment, but the shops are already telling us, aren't they? But, you know, God pursued us in his love. 
He came after us in Jesus and he commended his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And and I love it that when I read this, uh, John writing towards the end of his life, writing to this church, writing to these people who've confessed Christ, writing to these people who are struggling with their faith, who've had some disturbances in their midst, he writes to them and he's able to speak to them of the Christ, the one he knows so well. Him we proclaim. Years on, he's still heralding the, heralding the gospel. His knowledge of Jesus is as certain in that day as it was the day he encountered him. He said, yes, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. And that knowledge has not dimmed with the years. It has grown and grown and grown. I can remember a dear old lady coming to, a missionary lady, if I remember right, coming to a, the church I was in as a, a young man um, in my late teens and and, and I don't know she I don't know what age she was, but one of the things that touched me and the thing that I remember about her was her love for Jesus, was her passion for Jesus. And it just it just touched me. And I, even as I speak about it today, I can see her and I can hear her. It wasn't some kind of factual knowledge that she got. It wasn't an experience that she had all those years ago. It was a present, dynamic, living, joyful experience of Jesus. I pray that I can have that. I pray that we can have that. That we can be like that towards the end of our lives, not bitter and resentful, I can remember speaking to a a saint many years ago and her heart was filled with such bitterness, such resentment. She'd lost sight of Jesus, unable to process life with Jesus and become bitter and resentful. God, save us from that. Save us from that. John wants them to be sure that the Jesus they confess was indeed the real thing. Because there were people going around suggesting otherwise. Even as we have today with your Dan Browns and all sorts of people and the resurrection so-called of gospels out of nowhere that actually people have known about for years, the church has known about for years and trying to twist that story as to who Jesus is. And so there were those who were Uh, suggesting that Jesus wasn't really who he appeared to be, he only appeared that way. There were those who were suggesting that that Jesus actually wasn't God when he was born, that he actually became God when when the Spirit came upon him and then he became the Christ. And and then because they they couldn't handle God living in flesh, they, they actually believed that God could not suffer and therefore before Jesus went into suffering, the Christ left him, the Spirit left him and it was just as a man he went to Calvary and suffered and died. Oh God! Save us from that. Because if that's the kind of Jesus we're left with, we're left without a saviour. Yeah? We're left without a saviour. And so John wants to affirm to them that this Jesus, whom I saw, whom I heard, whom I touched, this Jesus, whom I proclaimed to you and that you believed him, is indeed the real thing. He was God manifest in the flesh. 
He lived, he, he was tempted in all points as we are. He suffered, he, yes, he suffered, and not only suffered in the garden, but he suffered in death for us. He took the place, our place on that cross. And one of the things that John brings out in his book, is, and it will be in your more literal versions, the word propitiation, that he suffered for our sin. He wasn't giving an example. It wasn't simply a moral example. It wasn't simply defeating the powers. He comes and he takes our place and he takes our sin and he dies bearing the wrath of God for us. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel that John wants them to be sure of and he wants us to be sure of. Knowing him, knowing this Jesus in this way, brings us into fellowship with God. And through this, God, through this particular letter and through his other letters, he affirms this over and again. If you do not recognize this, then you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Whoever does not recognize that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God, does not have the Father. And that's important because there is a a tendency today to try and bring some of the cults into the sphere of Christian understanding, of Christian life, and suggest that they're part of the the real church. And what do we do? We go and we look at what they say about Jesus. What do they say about Jesus? And so this is critical because it's the basis of our fellowship. It's how we know the true God. Throughout his letter, John writes in a, in a series of contrasts and, you know, there are some people who are getting older and fuzzy. And what I mean by that is, 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 is that they are kind of becoming woolly in what they understand about these things. But for John, it's the clarity. You go through this particular letter and the, the absolute clarity, there's, there's kind of no grey areas for him. So you get these contrasts. It's, it's light and darkness. He talks about new and old covenants. He talks about loving the Father or loving the world. He talks about the Christ and the Antichrist. He talks about truth and lies. He talks about children of God or children of the devil. He talks about eternal life or eternal death. He talks about love and hatred. He talks about true prophecy and that which is false. He talks about love and fear and having life and not having life. So John is very clear in his own mind. After all these years, he is clearer than ever as to who Jesus is and what the gospel is and what we need to proclaim and what is the basis of our fellowship together. John's faith after much trial is as strong as ever. You either know or you don't know. You are either in or you're still out. And for those who believe, they may be absolutely sure and have confidence before and with God. It's a bit like saying, do you know that you know that you know? Yeah? It's having that knowing in your knower that he is indeed the real deal. One thing is sure is it leads to new life. And so as you you read on down in verse 5, this is the message we heard from Jesus and declared now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
And if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim that we've not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, for those of you perhaps who like to dig in and study more, you'll find that quite a challenging piece of scripture to interpret. Um, and in more recent years, it's been traditional to change the focus of that scripture and say that Christians do not need to confess their sins. They don't need to pray the Lord's Prayer, that this particular scripture is not to Christians, it's being addressed to non-Christians. And it's a relatively modern interpretation of this particular uh, scripture. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a grace preacher, yeah? 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 You know that I love the grace of God. Yeah? Do you love the grace of God? Come on. Do you love the grace of God? Yeah. Because what is the grace of God? It's God's riches at Christ's expense, isn't it? It is the free grace of God. Not that you should need free even in front of grace, because grace is free anyway. Isn't it? It is is the, the proclamation that God has done it all in Jesus. Yeah? It's what we don't deserve, absolutely. So he's done it all in Jesus. Everything that was needed to get us saved and right with God and to have a home in heaven when we die was done in Jesus. It is by grace that we are saved through faith and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God uh, so that none of us should boast in our own flesh but our boast would be in Jesus Christ. My boast this morning is Jesus Without him, I am as lost as lost can be, and so are you. But Jesus is my saviour, and he is a totally sufficient saviour. And God in Christ has paid for all my sin. He has paid the debt. He has cleared that debt. But he's not only brought me from a, a minus account to a zero account, he has now filled up that account with Christ. So that actually... Jesus has become for me the righteousness of God. And he's become for you the righteousness of God. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. You should get excited about that. Because it means that your account is full and will never, ever, ever be depleted. And that deserves an amen. Come on, yeah. Because this is the gospel that we proclaim. But I want to say it's not a cheap gospel. This is not cheap grace. It cost Jesus his life. Yeah? I feel passionate about this. Because we, we, we can so often think that it's unconditional love. It wasn't. It was conditioned on the fact that Jesus died for us. That is the condition of his love. That is the condition of our relationship with him. Jesus had to die in your place and mine. You should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. But we could never have died that death. Because, of course, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I love the grace of God. I love the fact that I am justified. I've been brought into that place of absolute righteousness and right standing. And it will be the case forever and ever. Amen. 
But grace is not cheap. And Bonhoeffer, you can go and read something of his. I mean, one of his great concerns was was cheap grace all those years ago. And this was a quote of his. Cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. And so often, very often, when people start to walk down this route, you see, there's a a doctor. I I love the grace of God, but there is an abuse of the grace of God. And that's what was going on here. There is an abuse of it. The kind of thing that says, well, you know, this body is just going to die anyway. That's what some of them said. This body is going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter if I sin. It does. This body is very important. It's part of who I am. It's part of who you are, your body is. I'm not going to be some weird spook when I die, when all things are made new. I'm going to have a new body. And so are you. You know, we were made like this, and we're going to be made new. And that's wonderful. Don't get me on another one. Um, but just to hear this, because there is a, a, a big challenge out there, and anyone who goes on the internet, you can go and see this for yourself. And, and a, a, a cheap grace that kind of says, well, no, we don't need to acknowledge our sin anymore once we're a Christian. A cheap grace that says, I, I don't need to confess it. And Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. And so often we want that kind of grace because it lets us off the hook. That's why. Because I want to excuse myself in some way. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You see, I I think this is important. I really, really do. You see, we need to make a distinction between judicial forgiveness, which is what I've just spoken about, where we are totally justified before him through the shed blood of Jesus. And the day-by-day family forgiveness... You know? And that's family forgiveness is based on the eternal judicial forgiveness that we have in Christ. For example, I love my wife. I'm covenantally committed to her. We know that we love one another. We know that if there were issues, we would be loving and forgiving towards one another. But we know in order for life to work, we need to acknowledge when we do things wrong. When I've said something wrong, when we've done something wrong, that we need to say, I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. The same would apply to to my son if he he did something wrong. And yeah, I love my son with all of my heart. And there's all the forgiveness in the world for him. Because he's mine. But if he does something wrong, it affects our relationship. And he knows, yes, I love him and I forgive him, but there's a place to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And so we need to understand that there is a big difference between judicial forgiveness and the family forgiveness, which is the basis of our everyday lives. You see, 
I'm of the opinion that we don't grow deeper in our knowledge of Jesus and our experience of him when we fail to realize this. It is how I work my salvation out on a day-to-day basis. It is, you see, that confession is, is based on, in the next chapter, chapter 2, my dear children, I'm writing this to, this, this to you so that you will not sin. We, brothers and sisters, through the grace of God, we're now in a place where we can make choices. Like Paul says, do not surrender your bodies as instruments to unrighteousness, as slaves to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. Through the power of God within us, we can now make those choices. But there are times when we sin. And he says here, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So we've been brought into this wonderful, privileged relationship with God. But it's not something we should abuse. When we, and it doesn't mean that we should get paranoid and constantly seeking, because that's the other thing, you can go that way, just constantly paranoid. God, what is it? But we just walk with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just convicts us. And we just respond and say, I'm sorry. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We confess our sin. We put things right. And it's not only between us and God, it's also between one another as well. And, and John brings that out later on because he's, he's not only concerned about their, their, their relationship to God, he's also concerned about their relationship to one another, how it works out that way. So there is a judicial forgiveness whereby we are once and for all justified. And my confessing and asking God to forgive me doesn't undermine that in any way and it doesn't make me legalistic. It's actually a basis of family life, how I relate to the Father and work out this life with him. And if we do sin, we have an advocate, one who has paid the price for our sin and who represents us in the presence of the Father and pleads our case. Best lawyer you could have. Best lawyer you could have. Yeah? He is indeed our legal representative. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. I must close. So let me ask you this morning. Are you learning? Are you growing in the word? Your fellowship with God, how good is it? And this is not to deny the the Father's heart for us. It is that we might explore it ever yet more and more. That we might get to know him. And it's in that place in my weakness and failings that I, I feel his love so wonderfully. Where I experience his forgiveness and his cleansing. It may be you've been turning a blind eye to sin in your life. And just saying, well, God, God just loves me anyway. Yes, he does love you. But he doesn't want you just to carry on that way. Because it's not helpful to you and it's not helpful to your relationship with the Father. It doesn't help in the exp- its ultimate expression and witness to the world. 
if you're an older person as well. I want to encourage you this morning, there's more. There's more. Amen? <laughs> yeah? In fact, would all of those over 60 like to stand? Sorry, this, this is... Uh, <laughs> would all of those over 60 like to stand? All right? Okay. Would uh, those of you around them like to just pray for them? Okay, come on. Pray for them. Pray more life into them. Yeah? Pray more into them. Come on. <laughs> Come on, God's got more for you. Will, life will not be over until he takes you home. He wants you to keep growing in the knowledge of Jesus. He wants you to keep growing in faith. He wants you to keep growing in the power of his spirit. He wants you to keep possessing his purposes. He wants you to take that mountain, not run away from it. Once to put that spirit into you which was in Caleb, which says, give me this mountain. Give me it. He wants to give you tenacity of spirit. Some of you have been through it weary, got weary through life. And maybe, maybe life's a struggle right at the moment. God wants to put his strength into you. We need you as a church. We do. We need you. Okay. Right, let's everybody else stand. Okay, we all need more of God. Yeah? So turn with... Yes. Yeah, amen. So, come on. I want everyone now to be praying with somebody. You can link up. Just pray for one another very quickly. Just pray encouragement. Just pray more of the life of God in... Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Right.